Welcome back to the podcast. We're taking some time to look at the letter of 1 Timothy over the next few months. This letter reminds us what the church is meant to be, so I hope you find it helpful. One Timothy chapter four, verse one to chapter five, verse two. The spirit clearly says that in later times, some would abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as as if with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Do not let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. I've grown a little bit there. The amount of time that people devote to certain things, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? For instance, I have a a friend, still in contact with him, uh, who basically lived at the gym for the whole of his university life. If you wanted to see him, well, you check the treadmill. If you wanted a cup of coffee, you'd go to the gym cafe. He was dedicated to leg day, to arm day, to everything else day. It took time, it was hard, it was laborious, it put me off gyms for the rest of my life. But it takes real commitment, doesn't it, to see the results. And even then, it doesn't happen overnight. But what about devotion to godliness? Do you remember we were seeing what godliness was last week? We were seeing godliness is the desire Paul has for the church. What about devotion to godliness? Do we think training for godliness is worth that amount of time? That amount of effort? Can't I just give a bit of my Sunday to it and spend the rest of my week doing something else? Well, where people spend their time has been an issue since the very beginning. And it was definitely an issue in Paul's day. People in the Ephesian church had been devoting themselves, chapter 1, to myths 
and to endless genealogies. They've been speculating on the truth. Even though, we saw last week, God has cosmically put it on display in the Lord Jesus. And so Paul is coaching Timothy in this letter on how to deal with it. But the question is why? Why should Timothy, why should we devote ourselves to godliness? Why devote ourselves to godliness? And Paul's answer to that question is to look at the clock. Why devote ourselves to training for godliness? Paul says, because godliness is of value now and forever. You can see that in the final trustworthy saying of 1 Timothy. It's there in verses 8 and 9. Have a look at them with me. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And perhaps that's something I should have said to my gym-loving mate. But why devote ourselves to training for godliness? Well, because it affects both the present life and it affects the life to come. Now, we saw, as I said, part of that last week. The church should be godly because it is the pillar and foundation of the truth. It holds up the truth. But this week, Paul says something slightly different. He issues us a health warning. Godliness matters, he says, because there is a danger to avoid. See, as we're restored back to being what God wanted us to be back in Genesis 1 and 2, we have to be wary of a Genesis 3 moment again. In fact, the challenge to the church in this half of 1 Timothy is to make sure that the serpent has been kicked out of the garden once and for all. And to do that, well, we're going to have to do leg day ourselves. We need to get our kicking muscles up to full strength. We're going to have to be training for godliness. So if we take Paul's advice about this trustworthy saying, we're going to want to do it. And Paul gives us three ways that we can be equipped for doing that in this passage. Right teaching, right leaders, and the right way. Right teaching by the right leaders in the right way. So we're going to take each one of those in turn. So firstly, right teaching. This is verses 1 to 10. Now we've seen already in 1 Timothy that it matters what a church teaches. So if we're serious about godliness, we need to be serious about having the right teaching. Now as I say that, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I've heard that before. There's quite a lot of crossover here with what Paul has done in chapters 1 and 2. If you remember there, he was talking about false teachers teaching false things. And Paul develops that even further in this passage. If we've been tracking, Paul makes this sound like another Genesis 3 moment. Let me show you. You see, Paul talks about later times there in verse 1. When he talks about later times, he means times after Jesus has kick-started the restored humanity. Times when some will abandon the faith. Times when some will follow deceitful spirits and things taught by demons. Or to put it in other terms, as one bloke in my growth group would say, some devote themselves to snaky-like teaching. See that some teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. What does that look like? Well, verse 3, it looks like denying things that God created as good things. God created, see the Genesis language there? Did God really say? I mean, that's very snake-like, isn't it? Saying that what God has said about food, for instance, isn't right. Did God really say? Getting in the way of marriage, just like Satan did in the first household. 
did God really say? You see, to reject things that God has said are good and say things are bad instead. When in fact, verses four to five, Paul underlines it, God has made this good. He has said it is good. So Timothy is commanded to have nothing to do with that, to counter that teaching, verse six, to have nothing to do with it, verse seven, but instead to train himself for godliness. See, Paul commands it to Timothy, and it's important. So Paul speaks directly to Timothy, and he lays out the real form of teaching, to listen to God's word and let it speak the truth. Because, trustworthy saying, that is how we find promise for both the present life and the life to come. Right teaching is how we can devote ourselves to godliness. Now, Timothy is to put these things before the church in Ephesus, this right teaching. And as he does so, it's going to make him a good minister, or you could translate that word deacon, make him a good deacon. And it's also going to train him. Do you see that? Have a look at verse six again. If you, Timothy, point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you, Timothy, will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So as Timothy puts into practice God's word, it's going to nourish him. It's going to train him. He is trained as he points these things out to the brothers and sisters. You see, right teaching, it doesn't just work for the people listening. It works for the people teaching as well. Right training, right teaching, it works for everyone in the church, from the preacher to the pew, as everybody sits under God's word, as people are rightly ordered, as everyone is trained for godliness. But that's not going to be easy. It's going to be, what does it say in verse 10? It's going to be labor and strife. But it's worth it because it is looking forward. It's how God saves people. Do you remember that phrase, all sorts of people? We saw that in chapter one. That was talking about how Paul was saved, how Timothy's been saved, how everyone can be saved. And so it's worth it. See, the truth sorts out false teaching and it enables godliness. So it matters which speech we listen to. So are we going to listen to snaky speech? Or are we going to listen to God's speech? Are we going to listen to truth? Or are we going to listen to deceit? Because bad teaching, it leads to shipwreck. So we need, we really do need good teaching. To devote yourself to godliness, you need the right teaching. And that teaching, it comes by the second big thing, the right leaders. That's verses 11 to 16. Let me read these for us. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, just like we've seen in chapter three, it matters that the leaders are teaching this and that the leaders aren't teaching the teachings of demons as we had in the first verse. As the leaders lead through teaching God's word. And Paul gives a whole raft of commands here to poor Timothy. 
Uh, Command, teach, don't let anyone look down on you. Set an example, devote yourself, don't neglect, be diligent, give yourself holy, watch your life, persevere. It's a lot of commands in a short amount of space. But you see, Paul is coaching Timothy. He's training him in how to train the church. As Timothy is trained by a leader, as a leader by Paul, he'd be able to train Ephesus to do these things. Timothy is to command. He is to teach the truth, the truth that saves sinners. But verse 12, he's not to be looked down on because he's young. Instead, he's to be looked up to as an example. You see, Timothy himself, as the leader, should be in sync with what he's teaching. In his speech, well, you hope so as a teacher, but also in his conduct, in his love, in his faith, and in his purity. You could say that Timothy's teaching should be caught as well as being taught. Verse 13, he should devote himself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do you see why that's really important? See, if a church is regularly putting the Bible in front of people, it's going to be very hard for someone to come in and teach it falsely. If a church is regularly reading the Bible, it's going to be really hard for someone to come in and twist it. As the Bible is opened on a regular basis, it's going to inoculate the church against false teaching. The right leaders are those who devote themselves to God's word, to reading it, to preaching it, to teaching it. Let's compare that with verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1 where some are following deceitful spirits and things taught by demons. In fact, you could translate that. Some are devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. By putting the truth on display regularly, it's going to be showing that false teaching up. It's going to prevent the church from being duped by false teaching. And Timothy is to use that gift he has, verse 14, to teach the church in Ephesus rightly. And he's going to show that it works. Be diligent, Give yourself holy, could say take this training regiment seriously, don't miss out on leg day. Allow people to see your progress, Timothy, because this is the truth and it works. Just like commitment to a gym starts to show, everyone's going to see Timothy change, become more Christ-like as he does this stuff. But for us, do you see just how word-centered a church should be? It's not okay for a church just to have a thought for the day. Do you see just how word-centered the teaching should be? See, we all have an obligation to ensure that church is this way. Yes, of course, the leaders should take charge here, but we all need to be keeping an eye on it. So please do hold the leaders of this church to it. Hold me to account. There's permission there. Because it matters for all of us. It matters for me. It matters for you. It matters not just for now. It matters for eternity as well. It's really, really important. And verse 16, Timothy needs to watch his life and his doctrine closely. It's not okay for Timothy just to be saying the right things out there. Timothy needs to care about himself. Self-awareness is really important. It can be really easy, can't it, just to, to pick on false teaching, go, look at that guy over there, isn't he teaching false stuff? It's a lot harder to point in here and say, am I doing the right thing? We're much happier to critique others, aren't we? than ourselves. I mean, I know that. Having the right leaders matters. Leaders who devote themselves to God's word because, end of verse 16, it saves them and their hearers. So please do pray for the leaders of this church. 
Please do pray for the leaders of the different groups, the growth groups, the ladies group, all the places where teaching goes on. Pray that the leaders would be devoted to God's word. Because to devote yourself to godliness, you need the right teaching. And finally, if we're going to be a church that is serious about godliness, we need the right teaching by the right leaders in the right way. You see, the work is really important, isn't it? We've seen that already. And it might seem that it needs to come in any way that is necessary. It's actually easy at this point to think that the wrong way is right. Maybe a bit of force. Maybe a bit of hardlineness. Maybe that's the way to do it. But the way it's done really matters as well. Now, it's sad, isn't it, recently? It's been in the news that churches uh, who have charismatic, energetic leaders... Uh, You can read about the results that they had, and those results, I want to say they are true results. But the way that the leader did it has been called into question. I think in this room we could probably name a whole load of different churches where that has been the case. I was reading uh, Evangelicals Now, latest latest issue, and the, the article there talking about cultures of fear, domineering, coercive power imbalances from the guy at the top. You see, someone who teaches the Bible but does so in an abusive way is not modelling what God intended for his people. I want to say that really clearly. Just think back to God's original pattern. See, it was not the case that Adam could do what God had told him to do and be abusive to his wife and to his children. Adam's role was to fulfil his task in a good relationship with his wife and in a good relationship with God. And as we see the New Testament unfold, as we see that mystery of godliness, as we see Jesus... Well, he modelled himself on servant leadership, didn't he? He came to serve, not to uh, overbear over other people. So how much more should the church today be that? And that means treating the people in Timothy's care well. That's where chapter 5 comes in. Have a look at verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. You see, the church is a family. The church is a household. We've seen that all the way through. Therefore, the leadership should be dealing with people like this. If you're an older man, I should be exhorting you like I would my dad. Whether you like that or not. (laughs) My dad will listen to this later, don't worry, and he'll hold me to account. The right teaching, though, should not take advantage of position. See, it shouldn't be rude. It shouldn't be arrogant. It shouldn't see the task of pastoring, of leading, of teaching a church as something that just needs doing. Instead, it should be done. It should be done in a caring for each person in your care. It should be honoring to each person as it happens. That's going to look at different ways for different people. And Paul is actually going to outline what that's going to look like in more detail in the next couple of chapters. So there's a bit of a trailer But can you see, just here, how that is different to the false teachers? See, it's not forcing people to reject things that God has said are good, as we saw earlier in the chapter. It's not going to be splitting the church into bits, as was happening in chapter 1, as they were teaching the law without realising what they were doing. Instead, it's going to be encouraging love, rather than quarrelling and fighting. It's going to be showing grace, it's going to be showing mercy, it's going to be showing peace, that God the Father and Christ Jesus the Lord have shown us. If we're serious about godliness, we need the right teaching by the right leaders in the right way. 
Well, I'm hoping it's abundantly obvious to you what we need to do with this passage. If it's not, well, let me say it clearly. We need, underline, bold, we need to devote ourselves to godliness because, trustworthy saying, godliness is of value both now and for the life to come. We need to ensure that Christchurch Hemel has the right teaching by the right leaders in the right way. And each one of us has a responsibility to ensure that that is happening. We can all take what we've seen in this letter and make it our priority. So if we can spend our time on things that have some benefit now, surely we're going to want to spend time on things that have value in every way. Things that are going to benefit us both now and the life to come. My mate who goes to the gym, those muscles are going to last a few more years, then they're going to disappear. Godliness lasts far longer than that. So on our list of priorities, I want to ask us, where do we place godliness? If we were to draw up a list of things which we devote ourselves to day by day, is godliness going to be up there? Do we want to ensure that we have what we need for godliness? Well, if we do, that means caring for what's going on here. It means making it a priority that these things are happening at this church. So we want to be a church that this is true of. So if there is anything out there, as I've been saying this stuff, that you're concerned about, please, for the whole of our sakes, please raise it with us. You see, if we hear what Paul is telling Timothy here, and we believe it, we're going to want to make this the case in our church. I'm not going to say it's going to be easy. It's going to be toil. It's going to be hard. But it's going to be worth it. Both now and for the life to come, for eternity. So let's commit to help each other with this, shall we? Let's ask God for help to do this. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope it was helpful. Any comments or questions can be sent to the podcast email podcast at david-couch.com. And I'll see you next week.